0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren and today we're going to be tackling a different subject than we usually do. We've had a lot of journalists and authors on this show in the past, but we're usually discussing a current cultural issue, the most recent book on one of the primary social issues confronting the culture today. And although we've discussed the first five books of the Bible on this show in the past, most recently I talked to Dennis Prager, about his book uh, on Deuteronomy. Today, we're going to be talking to documentary filmmaker Tim Mahoney, who runs the organization Patterns of Evidence. And he has been working on a series of documentaries now for a couple of decades. I remember his first 2014 film, Patterns of Evidence, where he started to look for the archaeological evidence that the Exodus account, as uh, read in the Bible, is not only in fact accurate, but Uh, can be proven through the available evidence, the patterns of evidence. And since that time, he's come out with a number of fascinating films he's got a film called the moses controversy where he looks at the authorship of the torah he has the red sea miracle one and two where he looks at the evidence for the red sea crossing but also where the red sea crossing would have taken place and he he weighs evidence for different locations talks to different scholars and then the most recent two films uh one of which was released last year the other one uh, which has just come out was the the journey to mount sinai uh, part one and two where he looks uh, at different potential locations for mount sinai and weighs the evidence for them and the footage in these documentaries is just stunning he's visiting archaeological sites he's traveling across the middle east and taking his camera crews to these sites and looking uh, at the physical locations and and he's talking to experts to determine how many people could have been on the exodus what kind of animals they would have taken with them and some of the stuff that he uncovers is, is really mind-blowing. Even for those of you who have never doubted the historical account of the Old Testament, uh, Tim Mahoney's films, uh, The Patterns of Evidence films, are really just extraordinary. And they're also, I think, an example of what Christian documentary filmmaking should look like. Because, of course, the best documentaries, uh, you know, with the highest quality footage and, and the most interesting interviews are usually put out by very secular and very anti or non Christian organizations like National Geographic or the BBC. And the Patterns of Evidence series is an example of what it could look like for a Christian filmmaker uh, to rigorously pursue an investigation into scripture and to really start painting people a picture, giving evidence to strengthen historical faith. And I just can't recommend uh, these particular films enough. I've been looking forward to each new one as they come out. And so uh, Tim Mahoney agreed to join me and discuss his films and the film that's coming out this month. And here's that conversation. I hope you all enjoy it. Uh, To start off, Tim, maybe you can give our listeners a sense of how you uh, went into being a documentarian spending the equivalent of years in the Middle East tracking down the stories of the Bible. Because the story that you lay out in in Patterns of Evidence and the films after that is not only the biblical story, but it's also a story of, of your journey into some of the most storied and fascinating places in the world.
1: Well, I think for... A lot of people, including myself, I mean, you have a sense that you're supposed to be doing something. And in the beginning, I did not know, first of all, that I would ever be making documentaries. I kind of uh, looked at documentaries as being, you know, like what you did before you made real movies. <laughs> and uh, and then I started to understand uh, when I started watching and getting involved with uh, investigative, uh, My but my, my whole interest was, was solving these bigger questions. And so the documentary side of things started becoming more and more real and more practical for me. And I could tell that the films that affected me the most at times were actually investigative films that were documentaries. Those those were the ones because there was no fiction in them, in a sense. Uh, you know, some films, I, just have, I, have no, I have no emotional attachment to them. There's no reality. There's no sense of... Of truth, or possible, uh, you know, understanding that something, uh, you know, might be, you know, like what's what I got drawn into, which was is are the Bibles of the are the stories of the Bible, the events of the Bible, the narrative of the Bible, are they did they really happen? And um, so, I think that documentary filmmaking was something I was supposed to be doing. I think we all, for those of us who uh, who have a sense of direction because of our faith. There's a verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says for Christ's workmanship, and he's prepared for us good works before the beginning of time or before creation. And my wife told me that. I said, what? There's a verse like that? <clears throat> and I think that, well, then our our job is to try to figure out, well, what is that good work or works that I'm supposed to be doing? And, um, and it's multi... I think there's many different levels that verse unpacks in my own life. Um, and one of them has been... To have the faith to pursue some of these questions. And, and I say that because at times it was a very uh, crisis of faith as I was going through the pursuit of these questions. Is there evidence for the Bible? Is there evidence for the Exodus, you know? So... <laughs>
0: So just to start off, let's uh, let, let's um let's let's start with the first film. Uh you got a new film uh coming out now on on the location of the real Mount Sinai, but this sort of series of documentaries began with with Patterns of Evidence. It's the first one that I watched. I was introduced to so many things that I did not know existed archeologically speaking. Even the contours of the story changed quite a bit for me. I think part of that was just being brought via camera to these different biblical sites. What's the the story behind the making of Patterns of Evidence first.
1: That's that investigation uh, started in 2002, and the reason why I say investigation as opposed to just making a documentary is that uh, the process of listening uh, or gathering multiple points of view I think was critical to the to the type of film that Patterns of Evidence films would become and so as uh today there are a number of films that are called documentaries but they're actually not really a documentary because they're more of a propaganda film they they look like they're documenting things but they're really not telling the whole story and um and so the risk for me and both the risk uh in a sense for you know asking questions did the bible the, did the events of the bible happen i had to go and talk with people who said there was no evidence and then Uh, uh, That first film started in 2002. And I had heard previously that people were searching for evidence of chariots on the bottom of the Red Sea. And when I heard that, it was like, what? Could there be, you know, there, there, what do you mean? They're, they're, they said, well, they're encrusted in coral and there's these shapes. And then I said, but there's even more, there's, there's, uh, looks like there's altars and pillars. And we think that Mount Sinai might be in Saudi Arabia. And I learned about that in 2002 and went then. In fact, I learned about it earlier than that. Was, uh, and I was. I, I'd seen a film that had been produced, and I was so enthused by it. I thought maybe I could help them. Maybe I could get involved. And for a while, I tried to do that. But at the end of the uh, of that experience, I I realized that the story hadn't been fully told, and that brought me into working with a Swedish uh, research scientist. He was from. Uh, Stockholm, Sweden. His name was Dr. Leonard Moeller. And what I ended up doing is uh, um, I, I, I I invited him to come to Minnesota, where I live. And I said, hey, you know, can, uh, can you come here and uh, let's talk about this and maybe we should make a movie. And he agreed and he came. And because of his scientific, you know, approach and whenever I talked with him about this, that then became a new way of looking at things. And he had written a book called The Exodus Case. And once again, he used a very scientific approach to to the investigation. And as time went on, we actually were able to raise the funds to go to Egypt in 2002. And this was just after, six months after 9-11. So... I mean things were tense you know going into uh, the Middle East and uh and I'll tell you there wasn't a lot of tourism when I got there with a small film crew and um but I just really had this sense that I was supposed to be there and the most I think um you know there's pivot points in a person's life the biggest pivot point was when I was able to get to the north east part of the Delta region from Cairo and went there. And, and it wasn't easy because our guides, I don't think we really had permission to go out into that area. So they, you know, they say everything was fine. And also they say, get down, get down, you know, land the floor. And so we had to lay on the floor and close the curtains. And as we're driving through these villages, and finally we get to see this dig site exactly where uh, the Bible places the early Israelites. And we would call that land. The Bible calls it the land of Goshen, and it was there was an uh, Egyptologist by the name of Manfred Tech. Now, Manfred Bitek had been digging there for many, many years. And what they would do is they would rent part of a field, and they would dig down, record everything, and then they'd have to put it back back in place because the the farmer needed his field back. And that's when they started uncovering this amazing city called Avaris, and it was a city beneath the city of Ramesses. And what was happening there, I had heard that, I thought there was a connection to the Israelites there, and so I went and did this interview, and I asked him, and I've I've shown this, I asked him, is there any evidence uh, for the Exodus? And he said, so far, not. And when he said that, I was stunned, because... I, I I knew who he was, I knew where he was digging, and if he's telling me there's no evidence for the Bible, for the, for the story of the Exodus, uh, you know, what does that mean? I was really confused, and for the rest of my time in Egypt, that sort of stuck with me, and then I went to um, to England and filmed, and then I came home, and when I came home, I sat in the edit suite, and I looked at that, that footage, and I I that was the beginning of me um, coming to a, 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 a head were a crisis of faith that I was faced with.
0: Now, this is really interesting because what you show in Patterns of Evidence is something that I'd, I'd seen or not even heard of anywhere else. And I've, I've been to the Middle East a couple of times I've read a lot of books on biblical archaeology and, and biblical history. But let's talk about a virus for a moment, because I, I I think that there's a lot of people listening who will not be aware of the wealth of evidence that does actually exist for the Exodus as you delineate in patterns of evidence. And I think the two things that struck me the most about the evidence, um, out, of, out of the many things in that film, and I highly recommend it to anybody listening, it's really just phenomenal to see, But the two things that really struck out to me would be first, uh, a tomb that could very well have been the tomb of Joseph. Uh, And second of all, the evidence of that sudden departure from Avaris, followed by, by a dark age, that was missed, according to one of your interviewees, David Rule, because our timeline is slightly wrong. And I know this is a bit of a diversion, but um, would you mind uh, g- kind of telling us how you encountered this this new chronological theory, but then also uh, the, the Tomb of Joseph, which you kind of recreate in the film, um, and this evidence of a sudden departure from Avaris slash Goshen uh, heading out into the Sinai Desert?
1: Right. Well, this leads up to that day in the edit suite for me, when I was looking at this footage, and I I, I started to actually—I I looked at this footage and I said, God, uh, help me to understand why in the world can't the, we find any evidence here? You know, were, were they really wandering around or whatever? And then I felt almost like this sense of a chill came into the room, and this thought came into my mind, everything that you believe about the Bible. That your family has told you about the Bible, that your mother believes and your grandmother believes is a lie. And this total despair came over me. And I think for me, I understand now what happens to people when a thought like that enters their mind. And they then, you know, unfortunately, that thought only lasted for a few seconds because it was like that was on my left side. On my right side, It was almost like a strong, strong thought came into my mind, stop editing, get up, go to your office. And so I got up and went to my office and I got in my office and said, go to the bookcase. (laughs) I walked over the bookcase and it was very clear in my thoughts. Read that book. That's how clear it was. I pulled this book out and it was this book by that had been given to me earlier. And uh, it was given about a year earlier. Uh, and this man said, I really believe you should have this book. You need to know about this. And I looked at it. It looked complicated a little bit, uh, and I got—I have lots of books. I have, I have bookcases and bookcases of books, and I put it on my bookcase, <laughs> and I left it there. And now I opened it up, and guess what? I am looking at the very location that I am looking at from the edit suite. It's, it's uh, Avaris, and this Egyptologist, David Roll, was looking at these reports, and he is an agnostic, so he's not a person trying to prove the Bible. He's an agnostic, and he goes, "Wait a minute, Manfred Btech. It looks like Manfred Btech is uncovering the Israelites." And I found out later that Manfred Btech had to be very, very careful what he said because when he had suggested that, he had death threats, and he has a working site with students, and and uh, so it was very dangerous for him working in that time period working in Egypt, especially at that time in history, to uh, to suggest that he was uncovering the origins of the Israelites. And so there was more to this story than just is the archaeology. There was the political consequences of that archaeology as well. So I said, I've got to go to England and talk with this David Roll. And I went and filmed him. Uh, in I'm trying to remember the southern part of England went to his home and spent a day with him. And um, it was uh, it was like the beginning of a whole new revelation. And that what we're talking about a little bit for the audience is that a pattern of evidence approach is to look for, a pattern. And a pattern means there's more than one thing. And not only that, but you're looking for it in the right sequence. So, you have to find arrival. You've got to find the arrival of the Israelites into a particular area the Bible places them. And what Manfred Bittek was doing was what David Roll was saying is, yes, they are there, and they multiply. That's what Manfred Bittek's digging, uh, his his archaeology showed. And then they become enslaved, or something happens to them because they become impoverished. And then we start seeing these slave names, and we start seeing uh, indications uh, of them as there's these slaves, Semitic slaves in this area. Uh, in fact, they're in different parts of Egypt as well. So the case was building for the narrative of the Bible, you know. but the problem why people didn't connect it is because it was earlier in Egypt's time period. And but the sequence was there. And eventually we see the exodus out of Egypt, and then we see these this uh, exodus in multiple places of these slaves. and this ofvaris is abandoned. And not only is it abandoned, but there's people that are left that are that have um, that are thrown hastily into graves, their whole bodies entangled. And he uncovers uh, Manfred Tech uncovers the bones. and we see this in the film. and and that that then mirrors the story of the exodus. Well, I'll just share this with your audience too. Something else, you know, came cuz that first film was the Exodus. The second film was the Moses Controversy. And what I also found out was that somebody who is not Egyptian in that area, uh uh Penn State University uh, Egyptologist um uh Oh, Redford, Donald Redford, he basically said, uh, he believes, uh, on camera he said this, that the alphabet's origins were from Avar's. And uh, and so what somebody did is they took hieroglyphs and modified them into a phonetic Semitic alphabet. And this alphabet, at the same time that the Israelites, that we, we believe what we would call the Israelites, leave Egypt, the alphabet leaves and it moves out of Egypt and swings this way into the promised land area. So there are two there are different things that are starting to show a connection. And then what ends up happening is you mentioned about the dark periods. There are these times in Egypt's history where Egypt collapses. It appears that there's no power, it goes black, it goes dark. And we call it the dark period. And this dark period happens prior to uh like Ramesses uh, the second and Ramesses the first and I might have been Thutmose before that um and so this time period when people are criticizing the Bible what we're what we're looking at and saying we don't think that the Israelites were there at that time we think that they were there earlier and they left earlier and that the whole question of Egyptian dating which I hope to address in a future film which we've already started filming on uh, uh that that will be, the question of chronology because there's um Egypt uh basically dates all of the mediterranean because there's so much egyptian uh co- you know material physical material and it's been in a great museum packed away in tombs that there's a lot that's preserved and they have only uncovered they think maybe 3% <laughs> what's you know what might be found so there's a lot of Egypt that that has a great influence on things it's in a pretty good spot to to keep relics you know it's not wet it's not um you know it it doesn't freeze and and whatever that would cause things to go away but anyway that's the that first first two films uh I think were really connected to each other because of the location there and um and so that led me then to, as I was thinking and praying about, well, what do I do next? I felt like I was. I felt like what God was saying was cast a vision, and I did. We we basically outlined, you know, forty-eight episodes, and we've gotten to it. And so now we've got uh, Exodus uh, patterns of evidence. They all have patterns of evidence because that's the approach. Multiple viewpoints show the pattern, find the sequence, see how it fits. And um, like this this latest movie, which is coming out in theaters, May 15th and 17th, is the second of the Journey to Mount Sinai films. So we went from Exodus to the Moses Controversy to the Red Sea 1 and 2 films. Now we're into Journey to Mount Sinai 1 and 2, where we look at two different, or or we look at actually six uh, mountains. We looked at three in the fall. We're looking at the next three here. Uh, one of them is called Har Karkum. It's in the uh, Negev of Israel, and the other one is the other two are Mount Better and Jebel Alaz, and those those mountains are in Saudi Arabia. and uh, And at the end of this investigation, I basically created a, a what I call a Mount Sinai scorecard, and people can go to our website patternsofevidence.com and download it, and it has biblical. Uh, uh text that, that shows you references to the journey. It has a map where the mountains are. It has a uh, a timeline of the campsites and you know what the distance and, and that kind of questions. There not so much distances, but the time uh, question and then wildernesses as well. So that's what this fun investigation is about. And if people get this uh, printed out, they can actually uh, interactively engage in in this film.
0: So a, a couple of uh, really interesting points to to whet people's appetite. Um, tell us a little bit about Joseph's tomb, if it was indeed that.
1: Yes. Well, that is fantastic to bring that one up, uh, Jonathan. It, it, what's interesting is that at this site, when Manfred Bietek was was there, he ended up uncovering a tomb that did not belong to an Egyptian, but it was a pyramid tomb. And in front of that tomb... Uh, well, there was a, a palace. And prior to that palace, there was another house. There was a Semitic house. And uh, what David Roll is pointing out is that his he's seeing the fact that there's somebody somebody was given a tomb that's not Egyptian, uh, and it's the only non-Egyptian tomb that they've ever seen. And why do they say it's non-Egyptian? Because there was a, a statue uh yeah it was like a mortuary temple so there's an area where you could walk in there and and uh, i guess it would be to venerate the person who was buried there so there was a statue and then the person would have been buried you know deeper and um this statue had red hair reddish hair and it had a, a, more like an asiatic complexion on the skin and it had a coat that was a multicolored coat it wasn't just like one color or anything and, and what Roll is, David Roll is pointing out was that Joseph had a coat of many colors. And uh, and it, this it's not a warrior. He's got like a throw stick, a, a stick of authority in the, the, this person who's carrying this. And there are other tombs, principal tombs, also in this graveyard. Eleven, by the way. And so the fact that there are 12 tombs, and one of them is a Egyptian tomb to a non-Egyptian, But then the very interesting other connection to this is that the tomb was broken into twice. And um, uh, what ended up happening was that that the Bible tells us that Joseph knew about the promise to Abraham, that Abraham would be returning, uh, uh, that Abraham's descendants, I should say, would return someday to the promised land. And Joseph held that promise. And he said to his brothers, When you go back to the land that was promised to Abraham, and our families go back there, you have to take my bones with you and and bury me there. And they and they agreed. So when Manfred B dug up this area and this tomb, uh, he found that it had been broken into twice, and uh the the there were no bones. And that also matched what was in the biblical text. So the pattern was matching. The pattern of how many t- tombs were there that were of of these t- types of people um, that are Semitic. They're not Egyptian. The fact that there was this pyramid tomb, and it's the only one they've ever found in Egypt. And who was Joseph? Well, the Bible tells us that he was second in command. So he would have been honored. It's in the very area that uh, that the Israelites, the Bible tells us that they lived. But it's deeper. It's beneath the city of Ramesses. So when people say that uh, that the Israelites built the cities of Ramesses and Petum, what that is is a geographical location. It's not necessarily to the time of Ramesses. That's the case we make in the film. And because of that, um, um, we, we end up seeing that um, well, I, I want to. I, a thought came to my mind just now, is that a decade later, I went and uh, I was in Jerusalem, and I was talking with Ori, Orly Goldwasser, and she's a uh, a person who specializes in this writing language, this system, this early type of writing. It's called Proto-Sinaitic, and she said that her boyfriend had new evidence about the Exodus, and it was Manfred Tech. And so I interviewed him a second time, and he told me that as he was looking at all this evidence, uh, he said that we shouldn't dismiss the Bible, because he found that the word Geshem uh, or Goshen was in Egyptian texts, right addressing the area where the Israelites would have lived. And this is that Semitic group of people that I think that he was uncovering. But now that he was outside of Egypt and he wasn't there anymore, it was safer for him to talk about these things. And that's in our film. I'm trying to think. I think that's in our Red Sea Miracle film, which was a very, very powerful um for me, it's probably one of the most satisfying interviews I've done, where at one time the man who caused me a crisis of faith early on comes back later and says, "No, there is evidence that matches the pattern of the Israelites being in Egypt, and we have it in, in Egyptian hieroglyphs or uh, documents, I should say, uh, uh, you know, confirming this." So I don't know if I've answered your question, but I think that that the the Joseph tomb also was a very very powerful uh faith affirming uh, piece of archaeology
0: yeah, seeing the uh, the visual of the statue in, in the film and and just considering the possibility that you might be looking at a contemporary representation of the biblical figure of Joseph was just really pretty staggering because we don't have any contemporary representations of anybody uh, from pretty much the entire uh, Old Testament. We have an evidence of their existence as an extra biblical evidence, but but nothing, nothing like that. And one of the things I've been wanting to ask you as I've been working through all of your films is there's always there strikes me to be parallels uh, between this whole series that you're doing uh, and what happened with the archaeology surrounding uh, Troy and 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 the history of the Trojan Wars where you had some archaeologists basically assuming that the ancient accounts were at least partially true uh, them being dismissed uh, by by the sort of the rationalists saying you know these dusty old texts these mythic texts have no truth to them and then now I was in I was uh, at the city of Troy a couple of years back and 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 academia is coming around to the fact that actually um, all of the evidence that they're finding right down to burnt remains and and city ruins that would indicate uh, that even physical description Descriptions contained in 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 Homer's books match almost precisely with what they're now finding on the ground. And there's sort of a reconsideration of the initial dismissal of ancient texts as a guide to archaeology. And uh, a lot of the interviews that you do in all of these films, and including the most recent one, with people that are not Christian, uh, are often uh, dismissive of the idea that the Bible should be a guide to archaeology, but open to admitting that there's a lot more there than they said before, uh, and also open to admitting that perhaps some of these ancient texts are more of a guidebook uh, than than the, uh, the the scriptural critics would have initially said. Do you do you sense that people are kind of coming around to this idea, and that your documentaries might? Might be part of that swing, and that we're seeing something similar. That that, that those who once dismissed the Bible as a guide to archaeology, maybe you know, trotting the same path as those who once dismissed the history of the Trojan Wars as a guide to archaeology.
1: Well, I hope so. Put it that way. Now, I have heard that there have been even in the let's say Christian world of uh, of influence where where they have been looking. I just got a call about two hours ago. Uh, uh, that there is uh, scholars in Europe now that are shifting over. They're seeing the pattern that they've never seen before, and they're rethinking a lot of what they thought. And some of the problems have been peer pressure. Uh, There's a lot of peer pressure. I would probably say that I've had interviews with scholars uh, on camera and off camera. On camera, uh, they are dismissive. Off camera, they're really curious, <laughs> and they they're they're very because they have to be careful because you have academic peer pressure. I think they call it the academy. Uh, you know, if if people uh, possibly start to and, and I have two interviews too with uh, uh, Jim Phillips. He was he's with the Chicago Field Museum uh, when I interviewed him, and uh, Yuri Zarns. Yuri Zarns uh, uh, was at Missouri, I think State. But he was an archaeologist who had done Saudi Arabia uh, archaeology, and he's in this new movie, Journey to Mount Sinai, uh, too. And he basically said, we talk about this all the time. And we say, yeah, there's evidence there that matches the Bible. There's evidence over here. Yeah. Oh, there's some evidence over there. And then they say, Yeah, but we can't say that. We can't write about this. We can't do that. Because there's the academic peer pressure that the Bible is off limits. It's not credible. Whatever. But I think if if people are really honest, and that's the issue that I decided that I'm I'm not, you know, it's like paper, rock, scissors. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not in that. Uh, where I can get crushed by the, the rock and the scissors or whatever. Um, uh, in some ways I'm just an independent filmmaker that's asking questions. I come from a Christian background. I'm wanting to find out, is this true? You know, and when I meet some of these uh, scholars that have already reached the in their mind that it's not true, what I have said to them is, and these are the ones that came from a Christian backroom, background, I'll say, well, you know, the Bible does say there's consequences if you don't believe, you know, and we just sort of smile and, you know, whatever. But why is it so important too? some people say, why have you spent all this time, you know, here? Well, I had no idea I was going to spend this much time, but it was so enormous. Um, you know, it took 12 years and I didn't know how to make a film. I'm still, you know, they talk about doctors practicing medicine. Well, I'm practicing filmmaking. I'm still learning how to be a filmmaker because there are so many weaving uh, parts to these investigations that you're trying to figure out what is the basis of that. What we came to a conclusion was that uh, there are sections of Scripture that have uh, either places or events that you can look for. Or things, and can we find those? And in this latest movie, Journey to the Mountain, there's campsites and wildernesses. Can you identify this? You know, a starting place would be this Avaris. I believe that's a good place. Uh, and then, so I, the first film I had. Uh, which was uh, journey. I'm sorry. the the one in the in the route series would be um, Red Sea miracle one and two. We 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 look at where they left and how they got to different sea crossings. Now we're basically starting after the sea with this next movie, and we're looking at campsites and wildernesses and travel speed. That's that's one part of the pattern we're going to look at. We're calling it Journey to the Mountain. The second part is Midian, because the Bible says that Moses fled. To Midian, well, when he after he had killed an Egyptian uh, taskmaster, master who was who was beating on an Israelite, and so if anyone knows the the narrative story, Moses flees because he's going to get killed by Pharaoh probably for doing this, and so he runs for his life. And Midian, by the way, is a distant the 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 person by the name of Midian who the land is named after. Was a son of Abraham, one of the sons of Abraham after uh, Isaac, uh, and uh, I think Keturah was the his you know, mother. And so uh, the Midianites and the Ishmaelites and those they were they went east, and that's part of this investigation. Well, where would they have gone? And what we've seen, and and I think we've tried to narrow it down. The Midianites were traders, so the, you know they 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 were they were traveling. Uh, think of them like, I don't want to say that they're, they're like truck driving trailers with caravans, okay? Uh, because they're the ones that took the Midianites, were the ones that actually hauled Joseph from where he was up in a Shechem area all the way down to Egypt and sold him as a slave. So they were, they, they had, and that's why some people say, well, we don't really know where they lived. But the actual, I think the reality of it is that most people know they lived. They had a base of operation, and that was in what today is northwest Saudi Arabia. So then we go look for Jethro in this investigation. Where's Midian? Because Moses was in Midian when he had this encounter at the burning bush. And uh, for those who know the the narrative, Moses sees this bush on fire, and he basically um, wants to go see what's going on. And that's when God tells him, take off your shoes you're on holy ground. And he gives him a mission to go back to Egypt, tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, and he's going to bring them back to this mountain to worship God
0: now so you've been moving steadily through the chronology with these patterns of evidence you've got uh, the first film patterns of evidence and you've got you examine the authorship of, of of the first five books of the bible was that in fact moses where you you know do a dive into again the origin of of the semitic alphabet uh then you cover the red sea what was the actual crossing is there evidence at these places uh the film that's just coming out here um the second of a two-part set on what is the real the real mount sinai in this, this lengthy investigation, uh, what are uh, a couple of things that you've encountered that have really stunned you? Because I'll admit that when I started watching these films, I just basically just took it on historical faith that these things exist, that Exodus did happen, that the Bible did happen. You kind of ignored sort of the atheists who assert that there is no evidence. Or you've probably read the book uh, by Bruce Feeler, uh, Walking the Bible, where he attempts to come up with all these various rationalist explanations for things like the birth burning bush and for manna and things like that. Um, and you, but you just sort of kind of, you know, kind of bifurcate your mind and you kind of ignore the rationalist explanations and you accept the biblical explanations. And so what really was fascinating to me was how much physical evidence you uncovered, even of events that I would have expected there was no physical evidence left for. This was a, so long ago, so much has changed. B, you know, um, the desert is, is, is friendly to preservation, but also uh, covers things up and, and, and hides them for centuries. So what were a couple of the things that you found that really took you back?
1: In this investigation, uh, I think for me, it had to do with, um, Locations that had physical like artifacts, possibly. And uh, and I was originally always interested in the Jebel Laws location because of the fact that they had this altar, this long altar. Uh, well, they're calling an altar. You know, it's like I'm. It's like 120 feet long, uh, and uh, in 2003, I was actually able to go. I got permission with a small group of people and went into Saudi Arabia, and uh, walked through that area, filming it. Um, I, I think that the 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 two areas now since that time uh, is that there's this uh, issue of water. When you're in the desert, you need water, and this uh, uh, possibility that, and I actually saw the stream there at Jebel Laws uh, when I was there. I mean, I filmed it. There's water just pouring out, sort of dribbling out of this this mountain. Uh, the fact that there was, uh, yeah. there's, looks like there are these, uh, I, I think now that I've seen five of them, five of these circular uh, stoned areas along what could be a reservoir or uh, a, a small lake, that this possibly was how the Israelites were able to maintain themselves with water. Because the Bible says they were told to wash their clothes. Well, they're in the desert. How in the world are they going to wash their clothes to prepare for God? There had to be a flow of water coming out. And the fact that 3,500 years ago at one of these mountains, and I've seen it at the I've not seen it at all the mountains, but I have seen it at several mountains where there is a source of water that's coming. That to me, uh, especially at the scale of this particular water area, that's one thing. The other one was a massive graveyard in the middle of what we would I would call nowhere because there aren't any real, there's no evidence of a large settlement, but there's evidence of a massive graveyard. And so what does this graveyard connect to? Well the Bible says that when Moses was up on the mountain after and this is the this is the thing from a spiritual standpoint is that the Israelites had just seen you know in the last year all these plagues they had walked through the sea on dry ground and saw the water part they had seen provision from you know water coming from a rock they've gone through all these miraculous things and not only that but they see God at the mountain and thunder and lightning and, and like earthquake. I mean, it's just amazing experience. And Moses then goes up to the mountain, and they, and they tell God, by the way, that we will be your people. Moses leaves, and while Moses is away, they get nervous, and they decide to build their own God. And for me, I think for—I just want to say this to the listeners. I mean, when you think about all the things God can do in our lives and how quickly we turn to other things— it's shocking you know uh and and i mean it's a lesson that i'm learning because of the fact that the israelites were were uh, they were complaining along the way and they're fearful and then they go do that and so they when moses comes down he's got i believe the commandments and he basically sees them and this there's more to this by the way i'm going to get into God willing, in another film, about this covenant, because they had made a covenant. And I think he had the written part of that covenant in his hands. And now he looks down and he sees thousands of people worshiping a golden calf, just the very thing that God had told them not to do. you know, And he throws the commandment, breaks the covenant, and then he tells the, the Levites, I believe, Levites, to take a sword and kill anyone who's doing this. And that day, it says 3,000 people were killed. Well, guess what? There is a—I'm not sure how big it is, but I've heard it's like 14 to 15 football fields area of of graves, of these stones that have been put up. And um, so people say, well, where did these people come from, (laughs) and why are they right near this mountain where all this stuff happened, uh, where they're connecting it? So it's like the tomb, right? Jonathan it's like well there is a pyramid tomb and there were these other you know the the bodies sometimes tell the story and there's more to these bodies in the future too because the Israelites died in the wilderness and um uh so the issue of the of this massive graveyard the the large possibility of a water reservoir and and wells along with the other things that I've been interested in um uh, that to me, I think then kind of pulls the pattern together. And that's what this movie is trying to do is we're trying to say, well, if you were to look at, I think we've got like 17 different on this, on this sheet, we've got like 17 on this scorecard things that you should checklist. And if, can you find them? And, you know, does it, is it, is it a yes? Is it a maybe, or is it a no? And that's how I've had to rationalize my way through looking at six different mountains to give me more clarity about well, where could it be? And and uh so the other thing we've been telling people is y- you come to see this movie, it's May 15th, May 17th, and you got to really get your tickets now because it's only in it's only there for two nights. And I know in some places the tickets are being sold, uh, you know, the theater is filling up. Uh, and if you go to patterns of evidence.com you can you can uh, see the, uh, the trailer. You can download the scorecard, and you can go to the site where we sell the tickets. You put your zip code in there, and you're able to find the location of your theater. Um, but this, uh, I think, uh, th- these patterns are very, I think, encouraging. Uh, yeah. And and like when you asked me the very first question, well, you know, how did you decide to get involved with this? Part of it is I'm trying to finish a job that I felt like I got I got started with, you know, and uh, once I started getting involved with it, I, I was like, okay, well, I see another pattern. Am I supposed to work on this one, you know?
0: Well, I was going to ask you that because so I, I know because I, um, I, I, I keep track of of your blog and your emails and all that, that, that you're not finished, uh, that there will be, um, um, God willing, more films. And what I wanted to ask was, do you see yourself looking forward just continuing chronologically or do you have any sort of interest in, you know, Noah's Ark or Ur of the Chaldees or any of these other places like which uh, what, what's what's sort of your dream project in this in this series that you're doing?
1: Well, thank you for asking that question. I'm actually wanting to create, uh, I'm going to try to bring in some other people that are uh, to join me in the investigations as well. I mean, I have lots of people in them right now, but I'm looking at uh, younger uh, generational. um, I might be the Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, you know, character, uh, uh, you know, or the the older Raider of the Lost Ark, you know, uh, guy. And I want to bring in more, young uh investigators uh, to work with me. Uh we are looking at uh the New Testament, uh the birth of Christ and uh and looking prophetically. I'm looking at, uh, at definitely at the flood and pre-flood. I'm looking at uh the babel, uh babel, uh tower of babel and we're looking at uh, working our way then we already have filmed um the you know conquest and the what Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of the Ark of the Covenant. So the next film will be you know focused, God willing, by the way, on the Ark of the Covenant and the conquest. Uh, so Joshua and the Giants, Nephilim, the whole works. We're going to try to look into well, what is that? You know what, what you know because what happens is if you deal with the flood, you see that there was these. Um, you know, uh, this phenomena happened earlier, and they show up again. I mean, the whole reason the Israelites are afraid is because they say there's giants in the land, right? And then later on, David's dealing with a giant.
0: I will admit, if uh, if there's a four part series on the Ark of the Covenant, you don't tell us where you think it is till the end, that will be very frustrating. Watching the first Sinai documentary and and I I didn't realize at that point that there was going to be, it was going to cover. I'm like, I can't, I can't make my call on all the mounds now. They're not, they're not all in the same documentary. I have to wait for part two. It was the same thing with the Red Sea, right? Where you covered all the various crossing options in several films. But I could see why you needed to do that to build it methodically.
1: Well, what happened was we never planned to have Red Sea be two films, Uh, but I was editing and I was like, wait a minute, how in the world? I'm out of time, especially if you're going to give, if you're going to be fair to other locations. If I'm going to be fair to, um, let's say, a shallow lake area or to the Gulf of Suez or different ideas, you have to let somebody have that screen time to basically develop what what you're trying to communicate. So, yeah, I I know it's frustrating because some people are like, ah, I can't take this anymore. I got to, you know, got to get to the end of the film and we're just we're just trying to work away trying to get it you know to that place but both calls both films i was not intending it to be too but it was so huge and i'm learning you know i'm learning and and i also think that for the people that that we've incorporated they've never had their their mountain or their sea crossing really you know, measured, as it were. And uh, so I don't know if some of them are happy with the way I I interpret it at the end, because there are the shortfalls that some of these ideas have. They don't answer a lot. And that exactly what happened is that some people only had a couple of things, and they hung it all on that. They hung everything on one or two ideas. And you're like, yeah, but the Bible has a lot more. And they go, yeah, well, I don't know if I really agree with that part. Well, I don't think it works that way. You know, in my mind, you have to look at the whole, the the piece of puzzle shouldn't be taking little scissors and cutting off the things that don't work from the Bible.
0: So that's my uh, that's my final question is watching some of your interviews and your discussions uh, with different people, some of whom don't believe that the Bible is is infallible the way I would and the way you do. Um, Some of whom say, you know, it's kind of helpful, similar to some of the ancient sources on Troy, but but you have to take it all with a grain of salt. But there was a couple of instances throughout the series, including in in the last films where I wonder how much evidence would it actually take? before people would say okay that counts as evidence for the biblical account because at a couple of different points it struck me as straining credulity for them to ignore what they were looking at and that at a very minimum they would have to say even if i don't accept the bible as as god's word um considering the fact that I have this ancient source saying that this should be here and then here is a thing that matches that description that surely simply from an archaeological or historicity perspective that should be significant what would it actually take do you think for the ideas you present in your films and, and for David Rule's chronology and and a couple of things like this sort of break into the mainstream the way we saw uh, the, the um, interpretation of the ancient sources on Troy get corrected as archaeology reveal that the ancient sources were in many cases more correct than uh, than uh, modern archaeologists?
1: Well, I think there's three parts to answer this question. One of them is that uh, I was told uh, uh, probably halfway through this, that once scholars have made a position or declared a position, they're not going to leave it. Um, and that was a big surprise to me, uh, because they're just going to defend their position as, uh, and it's almost like the cement is hardened. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't, I, I don't understand that completely because I thought that it was more flexible and that there's more open openness. And, I, in one of our films, we talked about paradigms, that paradigms blind you from seeing other realities. So I think that what has happened is that in order for you to succeed in certain areas, both let's say politically and academically, you have to accept a mindset that whoever's at the head of that has set for the whole organization, or else you will not be successful and you might not get hired uh, to teach. And if you want to teach, you have to teach it the way people want it to be taught. Uh, There's also then the spiritual ramifications of this. For people to basically say, yeah, this is historical, but I don't know. Does this mean that God did this? Oh, I can't buy into that. So there's a there's a you know a challenge for people you know uh, to basically understand the spiritual component of that. Uh, I also think that uh, the third one is I'm trying to remember it here is that uh, some people are we we are seeing that some people are now becoming more open and curious. And so my my goal has been not to go and win the approval of the scholar. My goal was to make the best case that I could for everybody uh, and, and, and have the idea that I'm dealing with a skeptic. I make the films for skeptics, and I'm willing to put the Bible uh, on trial. And the thing that's been uh, good— about this is that uh, in all these trials that we've had, the Bible is actually coming out uh, credible and enforceable. I mean, it, it's it's just like wow, this is all making sense. This patterns coming together. And I do know that we're not going to find a lot of evidence for everything, uh, uh, but th- the final part to this is that when Jesus was on Earth, what you realize was that he could heal blind. Uh, Lame people would walk, and people that uh, were sick were healed. Lazarus was dead, and he came out of the tomb. People saw that, but not everybody believed. Uh, And so I think, well, listen, if Jesus' uh, uh, track record isn't batting a 1,000%, and there's a lot of people that even in their unbelief, they just cannot see any of that, that's just the way it is. Uh, uh, because people's hearts, there's a, there is a consequence to believing if it's true. And that consequence is, is, and I I showed evidence one time at a dinner, I went out to dinner with a client, uh, back in when I was still doing a lot of advertising and I showed him a a book that Leonard Muller had. And I said, look at all this. And he looked at me and he thought, and he said, one of the most profound things he said, if this is true, it changes everything. His whole world had to be recalculated because he's been living like it's not true. And I think for a lot of us, we live as if the Bible's not really true. Um, That's why uh, maybe I'm making these films, is because if it's true, it changes everything. And you need to get serious about your life. The other thing I think our films are doing is they're helping people to be more courageous. And I think the Bible says to be strong and courageous. One man, I was at a a reception, and he had seen the movie, and I said, so what kind of impact did it have on you? And he smiled, and he goes, it makes me bold. It makes me bold. I just want to tell people about this, and uh, tell people that God's Word is true. And and, um, I think, you know, I thought about my tombstone, um, uh, and, you know, what would I put on my epitaph, you know? And and I and I and I think those would be the words God's word is true. Uh and it's true on multiple levels. And so um that's why I think coming this film, I I I struggle with fear by the way, at times. I do a lot of things that most people never do. I go into places of in the world but people wouldn't go and times when they wouldn't go. And I'm asking myself, boy, should I go? Uh and should I do this or whatever? But there's fear. There's different kinds of fear. Fear of failure, fear of economic ruin, fear of danger. Um, and uh, so making this movie, I believe that God has uh, has been showing me that the Israelites were fearful, and they were complaining, and that I can be just like them after I've seen God provide for me over and over and over again. you know. And so I ended this film with an emphasis on praise. And worship, because the Israelites—that's what they were supposed to do. And at the end of uh, at the end of the film itself, I so I've recreated that worship and praise scene at Mount Sinai uh, with reenactments. But then at the very end of the of the movie itself, I'm going to be uh, leading in a short period of time with a, a choir. And there, and you said, "Well, who are these people?" It's not a. It's a special choir of people who were at one time in bondage to addiction. And they agreed to be a part of this, and we're going to be singing a few worship songs. Uh, And just like the Israelites, we'll have people all across the nation joining us, uh, standing up and singing these three worship songs. Because I believe that as difficult as uh, we are at times that we're in now, we don't know what the future might hold. And, And once I started to realize I needed to praise and worship God, my eyes went off from the difficulties and I started looking to the Lord. And and I believe that's the call to this film is that we need to go get back to worshiping our our God, just like the Israelites were called to. And, um, and that is going to be a key for us as we go forward in the future.
0: One final time, where can everybody uh, purchase or watch the previous films and sign up to watch the one that's being released this month?
1: They can go to patternsofevidence.com that's patternsofevidence.com uh we've got a store there you can you can look at the you can purchase this the films both uh, DVD Blu-ray uh, or digital download or rent it uh, and we also then will show you where you can buy the tickets for May 15th and May 17th
0: ladies and gentlemen that was my conversation with documentary filmmaker tim mahoney please do head to uh, evidence.com to check out the films if you're interested if you want to listen to past podcasts or subscribe to future ones you can find us wherever you get your podcasts or you can head over to news.com, click on the podcast tab and you'll find the van maren show there thanks so much for listening we hope you'll join us again next week